You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Christian, we want to talk about, or at least I want to talk about, is MARSOC versus Force Recon. So I know we're going to get into BRC. We're going to talk about Special Forces Assessment Selection and Q Corps. But maybe we should also spend a little bit of time talking about the differences between MARSOC, which is the Marines Special Operations Command, and Force Recon and what the difference is. Uh, it gets a little hazy in between the two. You know, I... I <laughs> MARSOC is uh, a completely different beast, you know, because it falls under the uh, Special Operations Command funding and whatnot. So they get they they tap into a completely different pool of money is really the the main difference. And on top of that, like to go to go MARSOC, I mean, just to make sure that you know we don't need the stolen valor thing. Is I am not MARSOC, never have been MARSOC, never been to ITC, never gone through assessment and selection for MARSOC. But uh, their selection is is kind of the same as. Uh, Special Forces Assessment and Selection. You know, you go to your first, you know, I think it's the three weeks long, and you're basically just out there doing weird stuff in the woods, land nabbing and stuff like that. And then from there, you move on to ITC. But uh, it, it's kind of a different career path. Like a lot of people are, I know a few reconnaissance Marines that have made the transition from recon to MARSOC. It's a completely different beast. And, and, and a lot of kids don't understand, or a lot of people coming into the military, they're you know, I'll get the stuff in the DM that's like, hey, I'm planning on going recon, force recon, and then MARSOC. And then when I get done with that, I'm going to go be a SEAL. I'm like, all right, why don't you that's just great go plan. be a SEAL? Like, yeah. I went to the like, Q course with a guy uh, who had been in force out somewhere in the Pacific. Because I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, but you guys are regional. Is yeah. that right? So, well, so he was he was in yeah, force recon somewhere in the Pacific when he was, when he was stationed there. Went through the Q course with me. Uh, for whatever reason, going through as a medic took him a little bit longer than expected. So his, his time to uh, in in service came up. He's like, ah, this I'm not re-enlisting, and then turned around and immediately joined the Navy to go to Buds. And his plan after that was pass that and then go be a pararescue guy in the Air Force. So trying to hit all four of them, I and mean, I, I lost track gosh. with him while he was in Buds. So but I know he at some point made it through that one anyway. But I was a tough kid. What did you do in the military? I went to selection. Yeah, I was in school. Years. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they just they, they, what they think of is all the trinkets, you know. Um, you know, I want all the toys and awards so people look at it, and I don't get it. There are people out there that are definitely confused about the two. And Marsoc was several years ago that wanted to tie the Marines in with the Special Operations Command, and let's create a unit. And actually, they went out and robbed a lot of the Force Recon guys and pulled them in to kind of start it up and get it going, as I understand it. From what I can tell, Marsoc does have a larger budget. They have a flashier website. Force Recon is really trying to change that in a way as well because they've kind of been pushed off to the side based on all the flash that's gone out there about Marsoc and the recruiting push uh, that has created that need that Force Recon needs to show that they're there still and that they exist. And so they're out there now really trying to, to show that again. And I remember back in the day, of course, you had the, the recruiting poster that was in the the Marine Corps recruiting's office, it was of a Force Recon guy. The guy was all cammied up and the whole bit. It just said Force Recon underneath it. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big draw to a lot of kids because of what they saw and the image and everything else. And I guess now with the budget the way it is, there's there's a lot more discussion about MARSOC. Yeah, MARSOC is, I think it's it's good. It's got some growing to do. It's definitely uh, a good asset in uh, the Special Operations Command. You look at like reconnaissance and force reconnaissance and, you know, MARSOC was basically birthed out of Force Recon because they shut down. Well, you had Det One, uh, Detachment One, which was basically the the test pilot for Marsoc. I read a bunch of articles on it and stuff, and I know a couple of the guys that were tasked with standing up Marsoc. So Det One was with I don't know what SEAL team, but they did a, an entire workup with the SEAL team to get the ominous dominus from the higher up as for pushing forward with that, and they they did exceptionally well. And then from there, they disbanded Det One. And then that's when they started to stand up MARSOC. And so at which point then the, the Marine Corps realized, well, hey, we still need the reconnaissance element, the force reconnaissance stuff, because the force reconnaissance stuff, uh, they're attached to MUs, you know, Marine Expeditionary Units. And so they kind of do the, the heavy hitting for the MU and whatnot when there's not somebody else in the area of operations and stuff. It really just depends. I mean, it's it gets very convoluted and, you know, who's where, who does what, et cetera, et cetera, for 
different elements. The Marine Corps is very stubborn in its ways. And so for years, they've been asked to join SOCOM. And for whatever reason, the Marine Corps was like, well, we'll never give up force reconnaissance, you know. And then now MARSOC's here. They finally realized that this is maybe a world that we need to get into and have some say in. And so, which is, it's kind of lame because you got, you've got SF that's been there forever. You've got uh, the SEALs that have been in SOCOM forever. And then you got Pararescue, CCT. And so it's kind of like, now, now we're the new guys on the block type deal. Well, MARSOC is. And uh, <laughs> it's a weird world when you start diving into it. But it's a great lead-in maybe for talking about BRC or prep for BRC, prep for SFAS and Q, because there are questions that are out there about what do I need to do to prepare? If I'm interested in going into something like that, and certainly understanding the differences between how all of these kind of roll in, the different areas and commands that they, they fall under, and their roles and responsibilities, that's a key component of it to make sure you kind of understand what you're getting yourself into before you start the preparation, obviously, to go that route. So this could be either you're coming off the street and you're coming into the military and that's a choice that you're wanting to make is to go that route direct, or you're on active duty currently right now and you're thinking about changing and going through selection, uh, whether it be in MARSOC or you plan on going to BRC for recon and or you're going to SFAS for special forces. And there's another thing, too, and there's special operations and there's special forces. So, Mike, maybe this would be a good opportunity for you to kind of explain the difference there because there's a lot of confusion that people think special forces and special operations, or when they think special forces, they think special operations, special forces are one and the same. That's not true. Right. No, it's not true. I, you know, and, and so today everything's very, very joint ever since we've kind of encompassed the civil affairs, the psychological operations or MISO so many different enabler uh, type of not only MOSs, but units now, uh, complete support, you know, battalions and brigades that, that are set up to support USASOC elements. So SOF means Special Operations Forces and, and things just like that. The civil affairs, they go in and they, they do a lot of real, you know, funding and projects for local communities. They build schools. Uh, they work with local agricultural development in, in different different areas of the world. They bring they bring money in that can conduct these projects. Heck, one of one of the projects we did with them when I was in Lebanon was to bring in uh, a, a significant amount of money, contract a vendor, and then make winter coats for kids that lived in the Bekaa Valley, which is the coldest area in Lebanon between uh, really where Beirut lies and where the border in Syria is on the other side of the mountains. Really cold area, poor kids, and uh, so we went to a lot of those schools. We handed out some of the some of the winter coats. So th- those guys are soft, right? I, or fall under the umbrella of soft special operations forces. What special forces is are force multipliers. We go in, and and well, there are a lot of missions. I don't want to limit us, you know, just to one. But but primarily, we go in as trainers, as enablers, to help uh, a host nation unit build their army. We can do it under unconventional warfare, foreign internal defense. Under most circumstances, we we go in, we partner with a unit, and we make those guys better, doing what they already do. So that's kind of a a real quick one of the world of soft versus special forces. Let's start off with BRC, the basic reconnaissance course for the Marine Corps that goes into the force recon. I'd say the most important thing is your mindset. You got to have the mindset of never quit. That is key, really. And so, I mean, with any type of selection course and whatnot, you know, it's it's going to be miserable. There's no, I mean, it's fun, but it's only fun when you're done with it type deal. I'm trying to and think so, if we actually went into that with your podcast, because I remember we went... We went more into the airborne combat diver, and we, no, we talked a little bit about guys telling them, "Hey, you know, I want to, I want to be in force recon. I'll never quit." Or I remember some of the younger kids had made comments to you. You know, what I always think of when somebody tells me I'll never quit because you know we all talk to people kind of the same way. They're interested in what we've done. Yeah, you've never been in a really shitty situation where you wanted to quit more than anything. You know, yeah. and, and until you've been there. You don't know what you're made of. You don't know if you're going to quit. You don't know if you're going to break down and start crying because guys in the middle of the woods when it's dark and it's cold and it's wet, man, I've seen them cry. I've seen them do all kinds of things you never never think you've seen another guy do. Oh, exactly. And I mean, for me personally, like when I showed up, I had the mindset that, you know, don't quit. But then again, also in the back of my head, I was like, well, I've never been pushed like this before and it's about to get real. And 
fortunately, the unit I was with, the guys were there, and they, they told, told me, and they were like, look, man, we've never had anybody fail BRC. Don't be the first. If you do fail BRC, don't ever come back to Hawaii. Don't ever contact us again. Don't ever, don't ever look at us. You're not welcome here. And I was just like, well, you know, there you go. And so, uh, you know, I had like, I, I basically had an almost mental breakdown at BRC. I was out doing uh, land nav. Day land nav went great because, of course, this day you can see everything. And then we moved into uh, night land nav. And I'm running around lost <laughs> in the dark with a compass. I'm shooting, uh, you know, resections and trying to figure out where I'm at. And I'm shooting these resections, and it's showing me as being, like, on a road. I look at my map, you know, and, and it's like, okay, I should be on a road, but clearly I'm on top of a hill, so this is not a road, and you can't see anything. And I was like, well, you know, here, this is the end of BRC, because, like, you know, land nav just kills it for people. I was like, I'm going to get recycled. And I was like, you know, whatever. I don't have time for this stuff. So I looked at some other points, and I moved out, kept moving. Went back, you know, we had our drop dead time, came back, turned in my, my points, you know, I didn't pass. I was just like, oh, wow, shit. So you fail once, you get one more chance to pass, and then if you fail again, you're getting dropped. There's, they're not just going to sit out there in the woods with you forever until you figure out land nav. I watched everybody get on the bus and head back for like a three-day weekend. I had to stay out there for um, another night. I was like, man, this is, this is shitty. Like, so I go out. Again, the next day, do the day land nav. I get the same thing, you know, 10 out of 10 points. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, compass is working. Everything's fine. So I remember I talked to one of the instructors, and he was like, what's, what's going on, hard charger? And I was like, I don't even know. Like, I, I just had this, like, complete, like, like, almost mental breakdown on top of this mountain, California BRC. And he's, like, talking to me. He's probably like, good Lord, what is wrong with this kid? You know, I told him, I was like, look, man. I, I don't know what's going on. My compass doesn't work. I'm not, I don't know. I, I passed Dayland Nav. I don't know what the hell's going on at all. I can't go back to Hawaii. I'm going to have to get out of the Marine Corps. I, I can't be in the Marine Corps anymore. And he's like, what? I'm like, I got to get out of the Marine Corps. I can't do this. And he's just like, oh, dude. You know, he's, he came from a force platoon, so he's probably like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, you know, and, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, hey, let me see your compass there, hard charger. He looks at my compass and. He does, uh, you know, his, his compass witchcraft, and he's like, you know your compass is off by about five degrees? And I was like, no shit. <laughs> he was like, let me get you a new compass, and then maybe you'll do better. And I was like, you've, I was, now I'm pissed. I was like, you've been telling me I've been running around looking for points for the last, you know, three days with a busted-ass compass. Like, I, you know, I was. And finding 10 out of 10 during the day, by the way. Yeah, which, you know, you're like. <laughs> You start doing a massive movement, being off by like five degrees. That's that's a lot. That, that is, you do not want to be in that world, you know. But then at night, when you can't see anything, you can't be like, oh, okay, yeah, the the box is right over there, or whatever. At night, you're just wandering around like an idiot with a, a broken compass. And you know, he got me a new compass, and I ended up getting the points I needed at night. I was like, thank God. But you just don't know. Like that was like a, a, a pivotal moment in my life because like everything came crashing down. Like I didn't have intent. I wasn't going to quit, but it becomes emotional for a lack of better terms. Like if, if you see, you know, a, a guy get emotional in training, that means it's, it's, you're there really. Cause it happens more often than not. Yeah. It was just a, it was just an odd, it's, it's funny now that I look back on it. Like that guy has to be like, God, oh, man, never asking anybody what's up with their compass again, because <laughs> I'm talking about all types of crazy shit to this guy on top of a mountain. What were some of the ways that they had you prepare for BRC, though, the unit? Did they have? Did they give you anything to prepare, or was it one of these things of, all right, this is kind of what's going to be going on within BRC and do your own kind of training? Uh, it was more of a do-your-own-kind-of-training thing. There was, back when I was getting ready to go through, there was uh, wasn't really a whole lot available. Like There was the, the recon short card and the recon long card, which you can just download on the internet, which is just a bunch of uh, calisthenic workouts. I did a lot of research on BRC. Uh, I watched Surviving the Cut and realized that BRC has a lot of swimming, so I did a lot of swimming. And I, I grew up with a uh, swimming background. Uh, I was on the, the swim team for a lot of years, and so that helped a lot. If you can't swim, I wouldn't even bother. 
going to BRC. Like you might want to go someplace that's more uh, land-based and not so much water-based because water is the great equalizer. And it, the SEALs know that. Recon does that. PJs do that. Not so sure about CCT, but basically they just throw you in a pool and they'll let the pool do all the hard work because it'll get you eventually. So when I was training for BRC, I was like, okay, look, I'm just going to swim. And I didn't really worry a whole lot about rucking because if you don't know what you're doing, you're just going to blow your knees out. You're going to wreck your back. And a lot of kids are like, yeah, you know, I've got, they've got their Jan sport backpack, like barely <laughs> hanging on them and, and, you know, 50 pounds of BS <laughs> in there. And they're like, all right, I'm going on a ruck run. It's like, good, good light. You're going to kill yourself with that. You know, there's uh, rucking is an art and a science. And I, I tell everybody just, you know, don't worry about rucking. You're going to learn at your course. They're going to, they're going to help you out. And they give out, they've got people monitoring and watching you and making sure you're doing it correctly. The biggest thing is just being comfortable in the pool for BRC. If you can't swim and you're not comfortable in the water, I, I wouldn't even waste your time. There's no point in being like, well, maybe I'll slide, slide through the cracks. You're, you're not because you're in the pool. You're going to probably drown <laughs> if not. And so for me, what I did is I would, I would go to the pool and I would swim anywhere from like two to three, uh, two to 4,000 yards a day in camis. And the trick to the camis is this is another thing too, is I don't need kids going out there and, and buying a full set of camis and jumping in the water with you gotta you gotta make them swim camis and that's that's another science so i don't know if you can google it or whatnot but i'm not going to go into water or like making swim camis and stuff but just get in the pool throw some camis on and just swim laps uh you're going to want to use breaststroke or the combat side stroke and all that stuff is available on uh youtube if you want to figure out how to do that stuff and so just getting in there and being able to swim and being comfortable in the water doing uh, water treading stuff, doing – I stay away from drown poop, uh, proofing. A lot, of, a lot of people are like, hey, you know, as we talked about before, I'm going to go – I want to go to dive school. So I'm going to go and sit in my bathroom and waterboard myself so I'm <laughs> good with good drowning. Lord. That's it's what like, I was doing. That was what I was doing before we started the podcast, Christian. Yeah, no, I wake up to a good waterboarding session every day. I'm like, just, you know, you, know, you take a freedom bath, as they, they say. It's like, man, what, what, you can't train for it, you know? Like, you see a lot, of, a lot of people, they're like, all right, look. So, basically, at some point during the basic reconnaissance course, I'm going to have to stay awake for a week. Okay, I'll train for that right now. I'll start prepping my body to just not sleep ever. It's like, dude, you're, you're going about it wrong. You're in a different scenario at BRC opposed to sitting at your house when you're like, I haven't slept in weeks. No, nah, man, you need to chill out with that and train hard, eat right, and keep working out. There's, you just can't train for some of the stuff that you're going to get put through. Well, they have I mean? a uh, preliminary course now, right? Don't they have or They have a, a, a prep, BRC course. Yeah. prep course now because they're having a lot of attrition from uh, MARTS, which is Marines Awaiting Reconnaissance Training. I think they call it primer and, now or something like that, right? Basic you know, primer course. It's really hard to keep up with what the Marine Corps does because they have courses <laughs> on courses on courses. And right. they're like, this is the course for the course of the course. And you're like, all I know is I need to be here 15 minutes prior to 15 minutes prior to 15 minutes prior. The BRC prep course is what they've got going on now. And it's been pretty successful. So it's basically like a little mini BRC as far as I understand. I think it's a less intense. and the, the instructors work with you more and try to help you give you knowledge and the information you need to pass the the actual course. And so before that, they had MART, which was, as I said, the, the Marines awaiting reconnaissance training. And basically, that was just a thrash session. I had a friend that was in charge of that for a while. And, you know, they would just take 18, 19, 20, whoever was in it, kids out and just destroy them daily because there was kind of nothing really to do other than destroy them like they would spend six to seven hours in the pool a day doing ruck runs a couple times a week running all over the place just getting destroyed nonstop. you know the classic hey run to the top of that mountain go get me a rock you come back with the rock and they're like that's not the rock i wanted and you're like well gee, oh, come on man like what rock do you want and, you know 50 trips back up the mountain you still haven't found this elusive rock type deal like <laughs> you know just crazy stuff like that so they're now streamlining it a little bit more for the BRC prep course, 
spoke with the person that went through it. They said it was pretty good, got them a lot of knowledge, and they just recently passed BRC, I want to say maybe a month ago or whatever. Understanding that there's going to be a lot of mind games, doing a lot of swimming, getting ready for that, keeping yourself fit, obviously eating right, sleeping right, doing those types of things so that you can be physically fit. The one thing I always tell uh, anybody that's like, hey, you know, I want to do this, I tell them, look, have the never quit attitude, which, you know, everyone already has. On top of that, do like visualize yourself standing there at the end and just remember you can't stop time. So no matter how shitty something is, it's going to end. You're not going to be in the pool treading water for hours or forever. You could be there treading uh, water for hours. For hours, yeah. But everything comes to an end. You know, wake up, do your day. Before you know it, you're sitting back, you're sitting back in your room, uh, compartmentalizing like what you just went through during the day. And I think with that attitude alone, you'll be golden right there. there. You should have no issues passing the course. You just have to know that it's going to be shitty. You're not going to have probably the best time. But as long as you know that you can't stop time, you just keep pushing through it. Like just look to the, as I, we spoke in the other podcast, so you look to the left, you look to the right. The guys with you are just as miserable as you are. Feed off that. You know, don't start sitting there thinking, well, I don't know, this isn't the best time for me. Like my, my cat's at home and it's sick. I need to be at home taking care of my cat. Because look, it's a cat. Cats are important. Cats are important. <laughs> cats are very important, but that cat doesn't give a shit about you. Like, you know, <laughs> that, that cat doesn't know you're sucking laying in a mud puddle in an SR site. Yeah, that's no idea, you know, but like people start doing that. Like they plant the seed of doubt in their own head. Like you don't even have to plant it or water it. They're just like, you know, I, I maybe I didn't check the mail today. Like I, I should be at home right now. And then you start <laughs> thinking, oh, yeah, no, if I just go home and check the mail and it's like, you're done. You, you know, the best thing you can do is just fall on your face at that point because you've got nowhere to go. You've already you've already killed it for yourself. I, I don't think people realize that, you know. For example, uh, when I was going through, I was the class leader at one point, and uh, this kid came up to me, and he, you know, we were about to get on the bus to go to the pool, and he was like, "Hey, sergeant, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore." I was like, "What?" He was like, "Yeah, I just," he, he said something like, I, "I can't remember his exact excuse," but I was like, "Look, man, you're a, you're a private first class, like." You're going back to the infantry. Like, that's not going to be a fun life. You do realize what you're giving up. And he was like, no, I, I, I totally get it. I know what I'm giving up. I was like, no, dude, you don't. And I looked at him and I was like, all right, man, well, best of luck to you. And I grabbed my stuff and ran out and got on the bus. Never saw him again. But people don't realize, like, it, it's a weird situation because you quit BRC or you quit whatever, like BUDS or SF and that stuff. People that have never done anything like that, they're like, oh, yeah, that guy's a piece of shit, man. He failed Buds. You're like, what? Like, you've never even been to Buds. And they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. Same thing with BRC. Like, you show up to your next unit, and they're like, oh, yeah, you didn't make it through recon? And you're getting lectured by somebody that's like, oh, yeah, I thought about recon. And you're <laughs> like, well, that's cool. Like, what is the point of this conversation? And so, I mean, it, that stuff has even happened with dive school. We would have guys come back that didn't pass dive school. And you'd have non-divers that were like, you couldn't pass dive school? And you're like, what? You haven't even been to dive school. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and it's just a, it's a weird, it's a very strange thing. It's always perplexed me, honestly, to think about it. Because you're just like, what? Why, why do you even have a, a point or an opinion on any of this? You're just, you've never done it. You've been, you know, whatever MOS for the last 20 years and you pick up Gunny or Master Sergeant. So who, what? Please tell me more about how I failed BRC. Now, I, I think something you hit on a, a minute ago when you're talking about that kid who who wanted to quit and go back to the infantry, maybe things hadn't been very bad. I, and I, I tell this to everybody that tells me I'll, I'll never quit. And I, I relate back to our last podcast when you talked about the kid that played high school football and he said he was never going to quit. You know, until you've experienced some really shitty times in life, You've got nothing to compare how bad things can suck in selection or in the Q course, which is a very long, a long training process. You're going to hit all four seasons in that training process, and all four of them suck in some way when you're laying on the ground in the rain. But, you know, unless it sucks worse somewhere else, and for me it was in the first cab division breaking track in August 
uh, on a 120 degree asphalt motor pool. Uh, that sucks so bad that I don't think anything that they were going to do to me at Camp McCall, North Carolina, was was that bad. I, I mean, I, I mean, it sucked. My feet hurt. My feet were bleeding. You know, I had foot powder oozing through my boots at times. It was really wet and rainy and cold. And but you know what, everybody else, it sucked for them too. I, but I had a frame of reference that I could go to and say, man, I don't ever want to do that again. I don't want to spend the rest of my career in the, in the army working in this type of unit, doing this type of work, because it, it sucks. And, and as bad as it kind of sucks physically right now, this is temporary and I can get through this. And once I'm through it, you know, I'll look back on this as being that time that things sucked really bad. And in my life, I can, I have frame of reference. So I think that's what a lot of kids who look to go into, into special forces or the seals or force recon, man, they don't have that frame of reference on how bad things really can get in such a short period of time when you're not in any danger, right? It's just that things are miserable. Oh, extremely miserable. And it's, it's little things that, you know, that make it miserable. Like, I mean, you got gear inspections, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it comes down to the simplest thing and it's being able to follow instructions. If you can follow instructions, you'll be good. I mean, I remember standing out one night dumping everything we packed and having to hold up each item on the list to make sure that we had everything and then somebody didn't have the item it was a thrash session and so every you know everybody pays and it's it's easy to turn people against people you know they're like oh you know so and so doesn't have this everyone's gonna push you know everybody say thank you dipshit <laughs> like right you know and now everyone's like dude why did you pack those socks you moron you hey know? man there's so much utility in that though i gotta type in on both sides of the coins of, of, of that exercise but i mean there's a lot going on i mean you think Particularly, and I don't know how your selection was or BRC was, but but in, in our selection and some of our courses, we're, we're sleep-deprived, and we do it on purpose. Mm -hmm. So you've got to come up with some creative activity at times to occupy the training schedule. And then you also want to apply some type of stress. So those types of, of activities are well-structured to do both of those things. They take a lot of time, and and you you can't spend that time sleeping or off your feet. you got to be on your feet. Uh, and you can apply stress just by like what you say. We're highlighting somebody over here, and the entire group is going to pay. And you see a lot of things. You see, you see personalities pop in both people. You see the guy who's identified. Is he going to is he going to rise to the challenge, accept responsibility for making a mistake? Because we want to see that, right? Or yeah. or or maybe they're buddies who are now going to lash out at him uh, because he made a mistake. Or are they going to reach out and help? Are they going to try to cover him? We want to see that too. So there's a lot of things on those those exercises that when you're doing them seem, man, they're just doing this to mess with us. There's there's a lot of utility in those. You can see the special little glean in, in Mike's eyes. eyes as he's talking about this. The instructor oh, yeah. is coming out of him. You can no, see I don't it. Know how many times guys will tell you, you know, you, you do some things you do just because you're you've got this assignment for three years and man, I gotta find some enjoyment. And I could tell you a story. That could be a whole different show. On, on some of the things we've done to, to Q-Core students uh, on fire breaks at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and all of it's safe. Um, you know, everyone's side the waiver. But it does <laughs> occupy time, and it makes them tired and stressed. And, you know. Oh, yeah, just the stuff that instructors come up with. You're like, wow, that is genius. Where did you come up with that? Like, you know, because I remember we'd be in the middle of a thrash session or something, and, you know, they, they, you got your, your instructors, they're pissed off. They're like, oh, my God, this is the worst class we've ever had, the shittiest basic reconnaissance course ever. You guys are ne – no one here is going to make it. And every time there would be some young kid, they'd be like, hey, hey, Sergeant, are we really the worst BRC class in the history? And I was like, <laughs> no, man. Like, it's a mind game. Yeah, they like, say it every time. Yeah. Like, if you were to go to the next class, you'd be part of the worst class ever. Like, <laughs> right. each class is the no, worst class ever. that class is the worst class ever. Yeah. Some of yeah, them probably that, scripted. It, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be surprised. And, but it works, you know, because people are like, really? We're the worst class ever? Maybe I should just quit and go home. And then I can not be a part of the worst class ever. And it's like, uh, it's you know, we just want to see if you're going to be standing there at the end and if you can, you know, pull yourself. Because... Really, all these courses, it's not, you know, everyone's like, okay, look, I wake up, like I get stuff in the DM, I always say that, and it's like, you know, look, I wake up at like 4 in the morning, I run 50 miles, and then I come and eat 5,000 eggs, and then I go and I work out for 16 hours straight, and then I go to bed. Uh, do you think I've got what it takes? And I'm like, look, man, you could be the most physically fit person in the entire world. These courses are 90% mental, 
and you know, 10% physical. Like you can, as we talked about briefly on the last one, you could look at the guy that's the most like physical, you know, specimen, like a Greek god, and you're like, that guy's definitely gonna make it. Well, most likely he won't. And then you look at the little tiny kid that's like 5'2, 110 pounds wet, and he's standing there tall at the end. You know, no one can really figure it out why or you know what the exact science of it is, but it's it really just comes down to your your men- mentality on it. You know, I mean, it's best to be in the best uh, shape possible, but it's not the most important thing if you're not there mentally. So, like with SFAS, though, you have the selection portion of it, but then the queue is going to be a full year long. In it depends total. on the MLS. Yeah, right. so anywhere from six months to a year without recycle. If you recycle, it gets longer. But, I, you know, I'd say, because I, I just want to chime in and kind of draw the difference between what Christian talked about with BRC and SFAS. You know, the opposite is true for us, is we spend the, the entire time on our feet. So, as a, and swimming is great utility. It's great exercise. And I think that, that kids ought to show up uh, to SFAS and EQ course in the best shape of their lives, being able to run, walk, and swim, you know, comfortably without stopping. But you've got to be able to walk with weight on your back when you show up in SFAS because that's what you're going to do. You're going to take a PT test, and then you're going to start walking. And I don't, I don't know exactly what the number of days or how many events they do now in SFAS. Uh, when I went through, I think 21 days, the first four days was just PT and pull-ups and, and some, some admin stuff. But when we started, we started walking with a terrain walk that was not a walk at all. Um, it was with the ruck and it was very fast. And then everything that you did after that, you really need to be able to move with 45 pounds plus water at plus or minus 13 minute miles through the woods. So that's a pretty good clip. And if they haven't done that, I always tell them, Hey man, go, go put on 45 or 50 pounds, get a good, comfortable pair of boots because taking care of your feet is the most important aspect of that. And then walk as fast as you can. Don't shuffle, don't run. That causes all kinds of problems with your feet. You don't want that starting out in SFAS. And shins, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, just walk. And then get to, get to where you're comfortable walking at plus or minus 13-minute miles. And that's that's really fast. That's and the reason it. I the reason I say that is, you know, we do these 12- and 24-mile foot movements with rucks, and they expect you to maintain about a 15-minute pace. So if you're walking a 15-minute pace and you got to take a break, you figure for every minute you sit, you're 100 meters behind. And now you've got to do something to catch up. So if you can walk comfortably 15-minute miles with 45 pounds plus water, and you're going to carry about a gallon or more of water on you, so another 8 to 10 pounds, you're going to be okay. you got to be able to do that for 20, 25 miles. And, and it takes time to get to where your feet are comfortable to do that and where your body and your shoulders you know, can, can handle that kind of weight. So there's a big difference between you know, being physically prepared for BRC and uh, and able to swim in camis, like you say, and being able to carry a ruck all day and night because that's all you really do in SFAS. Yeah, yeah, the the rucking. I mean, it's it's yeah, definitely very important. I mean, I remember my first ruck run at BRC, and us, <laughs> it was miserable, of course, because it's you know that it's definitely it's a run. We had one guy going through the course that was this guy. What was he? He was maintaining like ten minute miles with a with a, a 50 pound rock and a rifle and you're just like what is wrong with you you little gazelle i mean thinking about that like the, the rucking i mean towards the end of brc like when you're doing uh your patrol phase and stuff i mean you're walking around in the woods with wow it's not really woods because it's camp pendleton but you're walking around with 120 plus pound ruck and that's it i mean you, you know your ruck's heavy when somebody else has to help you get up <laughs> and and uh just Every day moving around with a ruck, having that, that pack on your back and just thinking about it, like what you were talking about, kind of made me think about that because, you know, you forget about the, the minor the minor details. But, yeah, every day they would be like, hey, this is what you need. You pack it in a ruck. And, of course, you've got your sandbag because you need to carry dirt around with you at all times. It's crucial. And so, yeah, uh, my back's starting to hurt just thinking about it. But, yeah, you've got, you've got your, your pack at all times and it goes everywhere with you. And so does dirt because it's very important to have dirt with you at all times. I've carried my fair share of dirt in the past. I don't anymore. I carry things that I can eat or, or use or, or, you know, make something with when I'm anymore. But of course I'm retired. So I have that choice. But I, I think that, you know, you mentioned carrying heavy weight where you got to get picked up. And I, I mean, I remember that because I was a 240 gunner for a while. Well, before I was an SF guy. And, and I also remember for, from really, really heavy infill rucks. So there's a big difference 
between what I'm talking about to be prepared for and to make it through SFAS, which is designed to show attrition over the course of about three weeks. You're going to get slower carrying the same weight, going longer and longer distances every day. You're going to do it day and night. And there's a, I mean, there's a metric to it, man. They figure it out. They know that if you show up, you know, and you're doing 12, 1240s on your first, you know, ruck movement, and then we go to the 24 miler, there's a, there's a number you should hit for, uh, for what pace over the course of that, that long walk that you can do. There's a number you should hit for land nav and number you should hit when you're, when you're walking on a trail, you know, so th- those are a little bit different. But, you know, the infill rucks that are, and I was talking to somebody about this in school this week, you know, they, people couldn't believe it, but infill rucks, well over 100 pounds, man. And I, because I, I mean, I, as a eight, former 18 Charlie, being responsible for, you know, when we used to do isolation and these big briefbacks, which we don't do anymore, I would be the guy that had to tell the commander what everybody was carrying. Hey, this is how the, the cross slope plan has gone. And, you know, the combo guy's carrying 114 pounds and, you know, the warrant officer is carrying 145 pounds because he's got two boxes of Snickers in his ruck. And, you know, <laughs> God, I wish Rudy was here for that. Wish, yeah. Give it make a timestamp and send it. <laughs> uh, you know, but and ultimately then you got to carry, if you're in the Middle East, you're carrying water jugs. So think about this sheer amount of weight that you've got you've to carry. And there's nothing that can prepare you for that, man. There's nothing for the heat, for the suck, for the weight, for the, for the physical exhaustion. There's nothing that can compare you for that, except frame of reference, things have sucked really bad in the past, and I'm going to get through tonight just like I have before. So, you know, evaluating a guy carrying 45 pounds over three weeks kind of just sees what, what metal he has. And, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, two-thirds of them still quit. But when you take that guy and you, you develop him over the next year or so in the Q course, because it's a long pipeline, uh, we put a guy out that can that can usually – throw a lot of weight on his back and walk at, you know, a moderate pace. Cause you're not walking 13 minute miles with a hundred pounds in your back. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with, with everything you said. It, it's really just, you know, it, it shows that you've got the, you know, the mental fortitude to be standing tall at the end and that you're not going to quit. Cause I mean, 45 pounds is nothing compared to what you're really going to be carrying. No. As you said, I mean, you start throwing water in there, and I mean your eight, ruck is huge. I mean, would eight, you eight pound per gallon? Yeah, the ounces add up. I mean, when you when you're sitting there and you have to roll over onto your stomach, and then do like a push up, and kind of like shimmy your legs up a little bit, and slowly, and then like use your weapon to like push yourself up off the ground. You know you're carrying some weight. You know, so I was doing <laughs> I was doing Turkish get ups with a sandbag this morning. And a uh, sandbag draped across my shoulder and everything. And I'm, I'm sitting up. I'm going, man, this is hard. How did I do that with a big ruck on my back? You know, you're right. You roll over. And it's, it's, it's tough. But you do it. But, yeah, no, exactly. You do it. You're, you're there with your, you know, some of your closest friends. Really, I mean, the, the brotherhood. You don't want to let the guys down. Because once you get to that point in the course where you're carrying that much weight, you've got that bond and you don't want to let anybody down. And, and you're already kind of past the whole, like, I mean, you could probably attest to this. Like the first like day or two of any of these courses is, you know, once the first person quits, then the floodgate of quitting begins. You know, oh, everyone's yes. like, oh yeah, Jack Johnny of shame just opens, left. Man, everybody. Yeah, gets yeah. everyone's got personal family issues that you know their cats are sick. They got to get home type deal. Once you make it through the first couple of days of the course, it's more like the the teamwork starts popping in. The individuality goes away because everybody shows up and they're like, yeah, no, I'm just here for me. And that's not that's not the point of it. Then everyone the the bonding uh, starts up, and and you're actually making forward progress. And then you you move into training and learning whatnot, and you're starting to develop a team. And I think that's probably one of the most important things. But yeah, the first day or two is just I mean you've seen it on both ends. <laughs> it's just the, the 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 stuff you hear about with people quitting and why they're quitting, and it's insane. It's like why did you even come to the course? What is why did you even sign up? I, I could tell you stories, man, uh, you know, but the one that always sticks in my mind, I went to selection with a bunch of good dudes, uh, except for the guys that I ended up going to the Q course with and being stationed with. I can't tell you anything about any of them except one guy who quit. I remember the guy that quit that was in my bay and, um, and this was his third time in selection. Oh, wow. So, so he comes back and he, and I don't, I don't know what his background was and he was doing fine and he talked the game and we were a week into it and um, that, that's when it started to rain. And uh, Robert, I've told you this story about the rain, and uh, and it was it was awful. I mean, it was one of the most miserable 
several days of my life, all the all the skin came off the tops of my feet. My I had you know blood and foot powder oozing through my boots. Uh, it was it was miserable. But this kid, after this third time he'd been there, I probably should have seen it coming. But he's like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm not ready. And I'm, I'm sitting on my bunk and I look at him and I go, what do you mean you're not ready? Who's ready for that? <laughs> look at my feet. I'm not ready. And, uh, and he's, you know, he had all these excuses and rationalize. And I'm like, all right, brother, that's great. Just leave that box of MREs on your bunk when you leave. <laughs> right. and, uh, and I went to bed. I went to I woke up. There was a box of MREs on the bunk. We divvied them out amongst everybody else there. And, you know, I never said anything bad about him again because he left us some chow. But, Oh yeah, uh, that's awesome. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, no, you're never ready for that kind of experience. How far along was he at this point? Well, we were doing mos. How how far along were yeah. we? How many? Yeah, how many? So three weeks. So how many? Well, we were probably the beginning of the second week. You get through all the PT stuff at the beginning, and you start doing your walks day and night. That's and really early. Second, on our second night movement, it started to rain, and it didn't stop raining for six days. So it was in that next week. Okay. Um, and it was bad. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I might have said this that that night we were after the show having some uh, having some good counsel and, and drinks. But uh, you, you know, this I can remember it, the thunder and the and every and the rain hitting the Butler huts. All the all the buildings out at Camp McCall at the time when I went through were metal buildings, which dates me to now because they live in these high rise apartments. But you know, to the Vietnam guys who lived in tents, it's not it's nothing. So I was the soft guy living in the buildings with you know heat and you know, hot and cold running water. But, you know, I could remember hearing it and there are guys like, nah, it, if, if it's like that tomorrow, I'm not going. I'm like, really? Okay. So we walked outside and there's, there were guys who didn't get out of bed in the morning. They just wow. packed their stuff and left. And then you stand for an hour, maybe an hour and a half waiting on roll call and waiting on the trucks to show up. So you're standing there in formation for over an hour and you're soaked. I mean, there's not a dry point on your body before you ever leave to go to your start point. And there are guys who won't get on a truck, man. There are guys who are like, I'm going to stand here for an hour and a half. That's it. Uh, fuck it. I'm going back. I'm going back to bed. And wow. then there are guys who get on the truck, and you go to the start point, and then everybody's jumping off the truck, and there's two or three guys sitting on the truck saying, nope, I'm out. I'm done. And, you know, once you start walking, you know, the the it hurts at first. The scabs break off your feet, and, it you know, it, it starts moving. And, you know, a mile down the road, everything hurts, and your feet don't feel quite so bad. But... I, I just couldn't believe it, the, the, the way guys rationalized. And it's, I think about that when people say, I'll never quit. And I'm like, man, you don't know what it feels like to quit. I, you don't know what it feels like to suck that bad. So, and I, I mean, a frame of reference. Yeah, good point. I mean, that does sound miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of wanted to quit right there. I was like, shit, I'm out of this podcast. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, no, it's the only thing that kept me in this grad school program, man. I've wanted to quit every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, just quit. You'll feel much better. You know, go and tell your professor that you're sick as. Yeah, it's raining outside. I'm not doing it. I'm done. I'm oozing through my boots, and <laughs> I gotta get home because the cat's licking itself, and it's got. Yeah, the plant won't be watered. Yeah, somebody's nobody's gonna water the plant. Right. Uh, it's just, I mean, the stuff that people come up with to rationalize their quitting is. I mean, you've probably heard it all. Like we could do a whole podcast on quitting. Oh God, it's insane. <laughs> it's, you're just like, what? Like, <laughs> I mean, we had, uh, during my class, there was a uh, first lieutenant. Somehow, because every time we went to the pool, we started out with a swim. I don't know how he did this, but somehow he punched the wall when he was doing it, when he was turning around, and shattered the bones in his hand. Good I was God. just like, what? Like, how do you do that? Like, I've swam a lot of laps. I'd say I'm pretty well-versed in going from, you know, a to B and then back to B and then, you know, whatever, repeatedly. But he literally broke his hand. And that was, I, I would assume it was a way to get out, maybe, because people will do weird stuff. They're like, I'll never quit. And then the next thing you know, look at them and they're breaking their own arm. Kind of sounds like one of those things like Vietnam or some war where you sit there and shoot yourself so you can get a, you know, the medevac back. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you hear those stories from those guys as well, that they would see buddies that would do stuff. Stupid things, you know. I, I had a kid. I had a kid one time, and I, when I was an instructor in the Q course, I taught small unit tactics and land navigation. Um, when we got into the SUT portion of it, the first thing we did was we took them through this elaborate, you know, training thing that we taught them all our SOPs, and then we went through this really, really elaborate operations order 
uh, like you'll never get unless you're in a Q course or in ranger school. It's the only time you'll ever do an op order the way we do it. Um, but it's in such detail, and that's what you're trying to get these guys who are really soft skill MOS guys who haven't done it before to understand the level of detail that you have to tell somebody when they're tired so they understand what you're doing. So the, the But the first thing we do is we do a cadre-led ambush patrol and then cadre-led into a patrol base. So I, I did this whole planning session with them um, where I led it. I was the squad leader, and I picked my team leaders, and I picked the guys to be the gunners, and I picked strong guys because you want your cadre led to look exactly like you want their finished product to look. It has to go right. And um, I was maybe 400 meters from infill, right? The kid that I picked to be my alpha team leader who was out on point, he just starts throwing shit. I mean, he's throwing his rifle. He's throwing his rucksack. And then, and then he takes, and he's crying. I mean, tears coming down his eyes, like big, big crocodile tears. And I'm like, <laughs> freeze. Everybody take a knee. So I put everybody in security, and I walked over to the kid. What the fuck is wrong with you? He's sitting by a tree at this point sobbing. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, Roger, Roger, give me your stuff and everything. And I called for a truck to get him out of there. Wow. And then I'm like, I, you, and this guy's an infantryman. I mean, you pick a guy who you think, for the cadre led, everything's got to go right. I want a guy that's going to do everything right as the ETL. You think you've seen it all, man. Um, grown men, you know. And another thing, and I, I told this story the other day, and, and I don't know if you can use this or not, Robert, but uh, I taught all of land nav. We all taught land nav, but I ran land nav for the Q course uh, when, when, it, when it was done in the Q course uh, from 2000, 2003, and it's done in selection now. So when I went through selection in 93, all we did was walk and put miles on. We didn't have to find our way through the woods. We stayed on roads. And when I went to the Q course, we had to pass the star land navigation exam, which is a long land navigation test. Uh, well, I ran that as a, as a senior instructor at Camp McCall. And we would go out to the land nav talk in the Hoffman training area. We'd set it up and we'd do daytime land nav and nighttime land nav and lots of practice before you do any tests. And at night, I would have to go out and walk around the land nav talk because within about four or 500 meters every single night, you'd find a couple guys who wouldn't get outside of your shot of my generator or they wouldn't get out of eye shot of the lights. Oh, you're kidding me. And, go. and they're just kind of hiding and stuff so that they- They're, uh, they're afraid of the dark, Robert. They're afraid of the dark. These are get guys out of here. Afraid. These are grown men. I mean, you have to be, you know, been in the army a little while, right. 18, 25. I mean, I don't know what age it is anymore. Uh, most of when I went through the course were, you know, mid, late 20s. Uh, these are grown men who've probably never been in the woods alone. Now, they're not with their squad anymore. Right. right? They're not, not doing things together. It's, it's individual land navigation. And you just find them sitting out by a tree. You know, I'd walk around with a headlamp on or get my PBS 14s on. And I'd walk around. You'd see them. Hey, come, come with me. What are you doing? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just checking my map. I'm like, I've been watching you for 30 minutes. What are you doing? <laughs> um, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> but there's guys are like that, you know, and, and you know, nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking right. these guys' personal phobias, but if if that's the kind of thing that why are you there then? I, yeah, why are you there? I mean, that's I mean, seriously, that's, that's serious soul searching should be done when if you're going to start crying when you're the the alpha team leader on a on a, on a live fire patrol, or if you are uh, afraid of the dark and you can't land navigate. I learned basic land nav. Of course, you know, you get some basic training and all that kind of good stuff. But I'm talking about some serious land nav and everything else because I had a Vietnam vet as a uh, platoon sergeant. So he'd take us out, and I was stationed at Fort Polk my first two years. So we went out in the flipping jungles of Fort Polk, which, of course, there's a reason why individuals pre-Vietnam went through basic training and went through training at Fort Polk because it was very much simulated within the jungles there of, I guess, what they were going to experience over in Vietnam. Yeah, there are villages out there. There are Vietnam, yeah. there are like, you know, uh, still villages out there. And, and that's where I did all my land nav and stuff and became very good at, and not only during the day, but at night. And you never know whether you're going to hit a swamp area where you're going to go you know, knee deep or waist deep into the swamp water yeah. or whether you're going to hit, you know, dry land or whatever. But on a good night, you'd get a moon, you know, and you could see for what seemed like miles and stuff, even within the jungle, because you could see certain things that you could pick out. But there were black nights, man, it was it was bad. And yeah. but, you know, if you learn to train that way and and you get used to that, then I felt pretty fearless, you know, in that in that stage of my life, especially great shape, the whole bit kind of thing. 
but I could see totally somebody who has never done that. I mean, it's even ridiculous now with just video games. You know, someone thinks they're a, a war hero in some video game. They're like, oh, yeah, I could totally do that. That's what? That's yeah, it? Yeah, why not? That's the same. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I remember when I was going through the, the School of Infantry, ITB. And Airsoft. You know, you got the, uh, you know, the Airsoft. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, we're, we're standing there doing the, you know, I've thrown hundreds of grenades. And, you know, they're giving the class for the people that haven't thrown any grenades. And they tell these kids, you know, don't cook the grenade, which is, you know, a video game thing where you pop, you know, the spoon, pull the pin, pop the spoon and sit there and hang on to it for a second and throw it at the last second. And I'm thinking to myself, if you have to give a class and tell somebody to not pop the spoon on the grenade and hold on to it, somebody has done that in the past. Like, it's ridiculous that, yeah. you know, the millennials coming in, they're like, Oh yeah, you know I play whatever game, and I'm 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 really good at it, and I basically am uh, you know a special forces <laughs> field sniper guy. Right. You know, you know I've, I've had conversations with people that are like, oh yeah, like I'm I'm like a really good shot on this online game, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, like what does that have to do with anything? You know, I'm real good at wee bowling, but I'm not worth a damn when I get down to the bowling alley. Right? It's weird how those two are not even remotely, you know? <laughs> I can play really good on Tiger Woods golf, but I'm not any good why did, of a golf why did you, Yeah, why don't you play golf or football or hockey or FIFA soccer, something like that, right? Why, why do you come to us? Yeah, yeah I mean, right. They make a lot more money. If you can play that game, I man, mean, you could beat the you Olympics you right now. All right, so get, uh, get mentally and physically prepared. Go in there knowing that it's going to suck. But you got to be in good shape, and, and you got to show up healthy. So if you're yeah. out there doing ruck runs and, and distances that are too long for what you're capable of doing and carrying too much weight, um, you're gonna you're, you're gonna injure yourself and you're not gonna be healthy when you show up. And I'll tell you exactly what I did. I started. I took a, a, a training schedule in for my PT what I wanted to do uh, when I was in the first calf, and I got it blessed off so I didn't have to do unit PT anymore. It's really why I did it because I didn't want to come in and do stupid unit PT and run you know 11 minute miles and things like that. But I did PT three times a day. I did a walk in the morning with a ruck, and I did it progressively longer till I could walk 15 to 18 miles at 13 minutes per mile before I showed up. And I didn't do it every day, right? But I, I, I broke it up with some things. I swam every day at lunch from, you know, between 500 and 1,000 meters. Uh, same strokes that Christian mentioned. I wasn't doing freestyle or backstroke. I was doing a breaststroke or that side stroke, that combat swimmer stroke. And then I was running in the evening, and I was running at a place that I felt comfortable that I could continue running, and I didn't run any more than five miles because that's the longest run you're going to do in selection. Um, you'll run longer than that when you get on a team, and you can work on other things and kind of, you know, itemize out, you know, what, what different types of fitness guys do. But to go to selection, you got to be healthy. You got to be in generally good fitness. Your feet have to be taken care of. So don't ruin them before you show up. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at mentors the number four mil and please subscribe to our podcast it's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show we have several options depending upon your device and we're at itunes soundcloud at stitcher and at TuneIn radio it doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose finding your way through a military or civilian career working on your fitness or just about to climb mount kilimanjaro get after it